Well, we've been going through a series on 1 John, and we're, we're slowly making our way through. We're almost done with chapter 2. I feel like we've, we've been going through this a long time, and we should be farther along, but, but John has a lot to say. And, and as I said before, and we've talked about it a bit, he's been dealing with really a group of individuals who have left the church because they, they had some differences in opinion about doctrine. And it wasn't just about whether or not there should be guitars on stage or, or there should be an organ or, or whether we should be wearing ties or, or can you wear t-shirts and hoodies. No, they, they were concerned with the, really the nature and character of who Jesus his, himself was. And so as we read through the book of 1 John, we see that there are some people who are questioning really whether he was even God, whether he was uh, the, the Christ, the chosen one, the, the anointed one of God. Maybe, maybe his ministry wasn't exactly what he claimed it to be. Maybe it wasn't exactly what, what John had claimed it to be. And so John is coming to his, his church through the, this letter, and he's reminding them of the gospel. When it comes to John, he is constantly reminding. He's re- reminding them of what Jesus has said. In, in really, John, the, the gospel of John is one of the latest gospels that we have, and it goes back, and it, and it doesn't necessarily reflect all the same stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke reflect, because he's going to go back, and he's going to bring a different emphasis to remind them about who Jesus is. And here in 1 John, he, he is, again, reminding them of the gospel that, that they knew about, about the one who was from the beginning, as he's said in the past, about Jesus himself. And so today, we're going to look at a passage that's, uh, it's got some interesting terms, terms which, if you've grown up in certain traditions, they, they carry a lot of weight or baggage, maybe, words like antichrist, but we're not going to talk about dragons or Apache helicopters or, or maybe anything of that nature. I, I just want you to come with me on this journey as we read this word together and, and try, to, try to maybe remove some of the, the cultural baggage that maybe you've, you've brought to the table when we talk about things like this. And let's see what John has to say about what it means to look like and be a Christian in fellowship. Amen? So we're going to read out of 1 John chapter 2. Verses 18 through 27. This is a larger passage, so we get to read this together. Again, if you're new, we're going to stand up. Everyone go ahead and stand up. If you're online, please join me. We reverence the word of God, and we're going to read this together through our masks, or if at home, not through your mask. And it's going to be a moment for us to be encouraged by hearing one another read the word of God together. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. (laughs) Because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, 
then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. Just as it is taught to you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would be with us by your spirit, that we would be able to see and appreciate the distinctions between those who would, would seek to follow you apart from your gospel and, and the path that you've given us to follow by embracing Jesus as the Christ, as the chosen one, as the one that you promised who would be the reigning king who would rule over all creation. God, I pray that by your spirit we would, we would be taught, as John says, that we would not depend upon the teachings of men, but that we, we would gaze into scripture, that we would look into your word, Holy Spirit, and in a moment be transformed. God, I pray that our affections, our heart's desires would, would be reignited to appreciate, as John says, the message that we had from the beginning, the good news about Jesus Christ. God, I pray that, that this would not be something that would become commonplace, something that we'd be casual about, but that we would, we would think about our salvation. We would think about uh, our, our, our salvation from condemnation and, and judgment, and, and we would appreciate it for what it is, as a miracle, as undeserved mercy and grace. And God, I pray that it would, it would motivate us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys can be seated. So John is encouraging us to hold fast to the gospel, and I think that sometimes when we go to church or we think about obeying the gospel, we think in very much vertical terms, or we think in terms of, of commands. Do this, don't do that, don't listen to this kind of music, do do that kind of thing, don't wear this. It, it becomes this kind of checklist, and, and our idea of, of being a Christian, especially in the world, really has much more to do with behavior than with belief and relationship. And one of the things I'm hoping that you're, you're beginning to glean from John is he is very interested in our relationships. And in fact, he was so concerned with it because this church had been rended, it had been ripped apart by these, individual, these individuals who, who were leaving the church, damaging the church because they didn't believe certain things. They, they denied Christ. So he's encouraging us today to hold fast to this gospel and as we hold to this truth, to confirm our part in his family and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, right? Your, your participation in church doesn't make you a Christian, but it confirms your faith. And we're gonna look at this distinction between antichrists and, and Christians, and, and then I just wanna make a few applications. So what is this? Let's talk about antichrist, right? That's fun, let's do this. Let's, everybody open up to, to Revelation. I'm just kidding. We're not going to Revelation. We're just gonna look at what he has to say. We're gonna... We're gonna interact with John on his terms. So he says in verse 18, children, again, children, 
He's so pastoral. He's so fatherly toward us. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. You know, there was this, there was this prevailing understanding that, that were, there was going to be an end of the world, that God was going to bring everything to, to a point of completion. And, and so there, was, there were teachings, and, and his audience would have been aware of this idea of one ultimate leader who would kind of set himself up against God's leadership. Now, we're not going to dive into that because John doesn't dive into that, but, but that's a reality that, that's sitting behind there. And he's saying, you know what? You've thought about this historical reality that's going to come in what's called the last time or the last hour that God's going to, he's going to tie up all the loose ends and he's going to bring everything to completion and there'll be this, this person that sets himself up against God. But I want to tell you right now that there are those individuals who are setting themselves up against God now. And unlike what we would, what many of us would, would think of when we think of this, these individuals who are setting themselves up against God, they're not just people in the world. They're not, you know, uh, uh, the, the deep, dark, you know, we wear all black, we're very, you know, we've got uh, upside down, all kinds of terrible things that you could think of. These are church folk. These are people who have been, in tr- people that you would have been sitting beside, and they've decided, they've come up with a, a, a new doctrine or a, a different doctrine, and they've, they've said, you know what? I appreciate the gospel, but I don't know if it's the whole truth, or I don't even know if it's completely true at all. He's dealing with these individuals who are against Christ. The word antichrist, it, I mean, anti is a prefix, and it means against or instead of Christ, which we're going to talk about, is the anointed one. And they were saying, basically, you know what? Jesus, great guy, good teacher, maybe not the chosen one, maybe not the anointed one. They were anti Jesus as the anointed one. They were against Christ. Not only that, look at verse 19 with me. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. I don't know if you can tell, but John's trying to come at this at forward. Like he's just saying the same thing over and over again in various different ways. One of the ways that, that you can tell that someone is a Christian or, or they're not a Christian is whether or not they're in church. And, and for those of you who are in, good church, in church, great job. If you're online at church, great job. But, but this, is, this is something that comes up often, and in our culture, it's, it comes up very often. Before the, the pandemic, as a pastor, the prevailing expectation was that people would come to church on a monthly basis, once a month. That was the level of commitment that, that we had as a culture to do church. Now, many of you, that's not your case. I mean, you're, you're here, so I'm not necessarily pointing a finger at you. I'm just saying that, that there's this idea in the world that you can love God, but not really have any sort of serious interaction with God's people. That you can, you can be saved from your sin but you live in a sort of vacuum where salvation is strictly about your sin with God and has nothing to do with the other people that God is saving. And what John has said over and over and over again is family, we're a family and you have to come to the weekly family reunions. 
And if we were to go and look at the book of Acts, we see that the, the believers were gathering daily. And there have been times in, in the church's life where, and I, I mean capital C church, where, where the church would gather together daily to participate. And it's funny because we say things like, well, you know, I don't have time for that because I've got work and I've got all these things. And, and you, you begin to say those words and you realize my priorities are centered not around God and what he calls of my life, but around my work, my money, my, uh, I can't go to church, you know, I got to take Billy to, to football. What are we saying when we say that, family? And I don't mean to, to, to pick on, I mean, soccer's a thing, football, pick your thing, dance, art, I don't care. The point is, he's saying something pretty, pretty important to us and, and kind of stark that, that your participation in church life is an expression of your faith. And the lack of your participation in church life is an expression of a lack of faith in God. He, he says in John, the Gospel of John, and I, I've quoted this many times, but I'll do it again because it's worth remembering. John uh, chapter 13, verse 35. He says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And, and this comes right after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. So he's not saying, they'll know you're my disciples because you say it on Twitter. They'll know you're my disciples because you checked in on Facebook. They'll know you're my disciples because uh, you read Pastor Brett's blog. They'll know you're my disciples because um, you've you've got a a hundred different friends, all of whom are part of uh, Grace Covenant Church Sterling on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever. You follow our Instagram, whatever the latest thing is. He says, if you love one another, and he has just shown his love for his disciples by cleaning their dirty, unmanicured, unpedicured, walking in, out in nature feet. That's the bar of expressions of love and commitment that he has towards the disciples. These antichrists were not about participating in the body. They were not about showing their love for God by their love for their fellow brothers and sisters. They were fellow, uh, former participants in the body. They also denied the Father and the Son. If you look at verses 22 and 23 with me, it says, who is the liar? Who's the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, and he really kind of defines it for us. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And then he goes on, he said, and he kind of, he, he brings it together. This is what I mean. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So perhaps these guys weren't necessarily denying God the Father, but they were certainly denying that Jesus was the Christ. He was the anointed one. Now, that, that word, Christ, anointed one, it becomes noise if you've been in church for any length of time. It almost becomes, you know, Eddie Barnes, Jesus Christ. It is not a surname, right? The word Christ in the Greek, it means anointed one. We could say Jesus, the anointed one. And okay, well, that's a little bit more clarifying, but Pastor Eddie, what do you mean by anointed one? Well, it's, it's the person that God takes and he, he puts oil on. That's weird. Well, 
in, in the Old Testament, this is what he would do. And, and I was joking when I said that's weird, but no one caught it. That's fine. Um, bad joke. The point is, in the Old Testament, God would express who his leaders were. He would, he would identify leaders, and, the, and his prophets oftentimes would go to that leader and, and put oil on their head. It was an expression of the Holy Spirit being on them, and, and oil was used to refresh, so there was an idea of refreshing. But we see in the life of David that, that Samuel goes to him and anoints him, and we see in, in, in Psalm uh, in, in, in Psalm chapter, I'm skipping ahead here, but Psalm chapter 18, verse 50, it says, great salvation he brings to his king, and then it, it repeats itself and says, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. In, in that verse, we see that, that the psalmist connects the anointed to the king to David, and if you don't know, God had made a promise to the King David, I'm going to extend your kingdom, your, your rule, your reign, your throne forever. And so by the time that Jesus is ministering and, and, and then following that, when John is ministering, they are looking for what? The anointed one, the one who was coming in line with Jesus, or coming in line with David, who was gonna be a king like David, a king after God's own heart, a, a king who would bring about salvation. And so John is saying, Jesus is that anointed one. And these antichrists, were, they were arguing and saying that, that Jesus was not the anointed one. And I mean, this is, this is a thing today. I remember I live in Leesburg right down the road from a Mormon church, which I don't know that I could call it a church, but it is a place where Mormons gather. And there are these young guys, these college-age guys on mission, you know, elder so-and-so and elder so-and-so. I'm like, you're 17. You're not an elder. Um, that's okay, though. And I came to find out that, you know what? Mormon college-age guys are just like regular college-age guys. They will talk to you if you give them fried chicken. And so that's what I did. I gave them fried chicken, and we talked. And we had a lot of fun conversations, and it was interesting to see how little these, I don't know, if, I'm not saying this is indicative of all Mormons, but these guys knew very little of the Bible that they claimed to follow. Now, Mormonism does not, uh, I will say this, Mormonism does not ascribe to Orthodox Christianity in this very specific way. They don't see Jesus as God. It's a, it's a perfect expression of, of this. Exactly. They, they don't see Jesus as God. They might say he's a, a good teacher or a prophet. But to say that he's not God is to say that you are anti-Christ. And, and it's, it's not good. It's not good, family. And I, I would, we would get to that point. We would talk about a lot of things. And, you know, there's a lot of commonality because there's a lot of commonality between half-truths and full-truths. And try to love on them and love on them. And then we just get to this point. Guys, Jesus is God, and, and so often the conversation would just end because they weren't willing to recognize Jesus as Lord. And family, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that people in the world can get, up, get on board with. Don't murder, sounds like a good idea. Don't commit adultery, all right, that's great. Don't envy, eh, okay, I understand that. Jesus is Lord, eh. What do you mean by Lord. I mean, he's in charge. In charge of who? You. No, I'm not about that. 
right? They denied Jesus. And ultimately, it says that they were trying to deceive. Verse 26 says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. See, the dangerous thing about these guys, they weren't just saying, you know, we've come to some different conclusions based on our study of the Bible. They were trying to deceive people who had trusted in Jesus and, and, and draw them away. And this is why he, he goes after them. These are the, the antichrists. And from this, we can kind of get a picture of what we are called to be, which is not that. Right? In, in verse 19, if it says that they, they were with us, but they left, and that's proof that they are not of us, then what does it mean to be a Christian, but to be about us? Again, when you and I, when we define Christianity, when, when you talk to, you know, maybe you talk to one of your, your coworkers, oh, you go to church? Yeah, you know, you're a Christian? Okay, well, what does that mean? Do you, do you, does the first thing that comes to your mind, is it, is it that, you know, I don't do these things, I stopped going to the club? You know, and that's good. Don't go to the club. Uh, is, is it, well, I stopped saying bad words. Is, is it, I, I stopped smoking or I, 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 you know, I got married. These are all good things. But what John is saying, and, and I said it before, what John is saying is that your faith in God has to have implications for the other people around. You can't have this kind of faith that says, I love God, but I don't love his church. I remember being in college so much and having these conversations with, there's a, there a place called Tate Street. And if you've ever been to Greensboro, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's like, it's where all the, the artsy people and there's a coffee shop. There were actually two coffee shops. There were Dueling Banjo's Coffee Shop, Cup of Joe and, and Tate Street Coffee. Both, you know, sufficiently coffee. It wasn't very good. There was competition, but there wasn't like, Anyways, that has nothing to do with what we're saying. Anyways, I would have conversation after conversation with individuals who, you know what, I, Jesus was a great guy. He, he you know, he loved people. I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. You know, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. But, but once you got to this idea of, of loving God in such a way that you would be a part of a, a body of people who loved God, that you go to church and say, ah, I don't... I don't feel like I need to have a relationship with other people. My relationship is with God. I, I go to church in, in, in nature. I go among the, the squirrels and the, the robins. I love you, family. Go out and commune with the squirrels and the robins. Hang out with them. Climb a tree. Do what you want. That's not church. It's not church. He, he puts us in a family. Because you know why, family? This is the place, this is the lab where we get to work out all the stuff he commands us to do. It's really easy to say, oh, I'm never going to uh, get angry at someone when you don't know anyone to get angry at. But then on, on Sunday when someone parks in your, that's my spot. That's where I always park. Why is this sedan over here? Oh, look at his bummer sticker. Oh, they're going to church. This is the place where, where God works these things out. And this is the place where God gathers his people around to do amazing things. I'm so thankful that we've been able to participate with Mobile Hope and we've, we've given away so many diapers. I mean, we've done a lot of things, but just diapers upon diapers upon diapers. We've given out things, we've given out food, we helped, there was a, actually a fire at a, an apartment complex in Sterling that we were, we were able to, because of you, 
because of your giving and participation, we were able to love that community. And it's the sort of thing that doesn't happen when it's one person. I am one person, and, and I can tell you I would not be able to have the impact that we've had unless we had all the people who are doing the things that they're doing as a body. We show our discipleship by our fellowship. You see, Christ and his church are a package deal. You know, my wife and I, we are married because that's, that's what that means. She's my wife, I'm her husband, we, we do things together. And, and this is a, an analogy I'm sure you've heard before, but if you come to me and say, I think you're awesome, but I really don't like your wife, we're not gonna be friends. Now, if you're in the church, I will pray for you and bless you, and I will ask God to help you. Because you can't be my friend without loving my wife. That's the way it's supposed to be. If you come to her and, you know, you say, anyways, yeah. So, um, just saying, be careful. Um, wives are real. Um, We, we can't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you. I just don't care for your bride. You know, he, he, he kind of died for his bride. And that, that's what John is saying. Guys, if you want to have a real faith, it has to involve being part of a body. Not only are we those individuals who are part of a body, we're those who have received at what, what he says as an, an anointing from God and have knowledge. He says in verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you, have, you all have knowledge. And then he goes and he repeats it in verse 27, but the anointing that you've received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it is taught just as it has taught you, abide in him. The, the word Christ in the Greek is Christos. It's, I mean, it's Christ, basically. And the word for anointing is chrisma. And, and in, in the original language, and the only reason I'm telling you this is because you, there's a, it, they sound the same because they, they're related. And he says, you know what? Jesus is the anointed one, and anyone who really believes in him, is going to be anointed as well. Right? Jesus is the one whom God anointed to be kings, to be king, and we have been anointed to express his authority and leadership in the body as anointed ones. Right? Some people have called, you know, being a Christian as being a little Christ. And that's, that's what the language says. It says, we've been anointed. And, and not just with, with oil, but we've been given what? His Holy Spirit. We've been given his Holy Spirit, and because of that, we have knowledge. Now, what, what he's saying here, I don't think he's saying that we don't need, I hope he's not saying we don't need pastors to teach, because it's kind of my job, and uh, I'd like to keep my job. But what he's saying is that God has given us his word, and we don't need someone to innovate. We don't need someone new to tell us something different. We've been given the knowledge. They had been given the, guys, you have the gospel. Don't look for something else. Paul goes so far in Galatians to say, hey, you know what? If an angel comes to you, if, if you know, this bright and shiny character comes with like wings and guns and tanks and lasers and like strobe lights and a backup band and dancers and says that there's a different gospel, 
You don't need that teacher, right? If someone comes on the Oprah show and says, you know what, I've got a good new way for you to connect with God. You know, let's talk about mindfulness. You know, let us, what are some other ways that you can connect? No, we don't need another teacher. We have, we have the knowledge. We have the knowledge. Paul says in, in, uh, in, in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy verse 3, verse 16, 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God or the person of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out. That sounds like what? The spirit of God at work, right? The breath of God, the wind of God. All scripture is, is carried by the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what inspiration means. This is why you don't hear me saying, you know what I think you should do with your life? This is, this is Eddie's opinion. Let's, let's, you know, this is a ask Eddie hour. No. No. And if I ever say, Eddie says this, you can take it or leave it. Now, I've, I've done some things. I've lived, you know, and I can get antivirus software or whatever. I, I, I can tell you about computers and, and what to do, what not to do. I've parented for a little bit of time, so I can tell you a little bit about that. But if it's my opinion, it's exactly that, my opinion. But we have knowledge. We have truth. And that truth is, is scripture. And beyond that, we, we have pr- prophetic truth, right? We are, we're a church body that believes in, in the gifts of the Spirit all being active and at work, so God still speaks. And he speaks in confirmation with his word, with his written word. We are those who have received an anointing from God and have knowledge. So we are not antichrist, those who have left the church, those who deny Christ. We are those who acknowledge and embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Hopefully, we're those who have been anointed. We've received the Holy Spirit who speaks to us, who trains us, who teaches us, who who illuminates his scriptures. This is why, family, read your Bible every day. This is why we talk about reading the Bible. This is why I even preach this way. You understand that? I don't, I've been trying to go through this book because who gave us this book? The Holy Spirit. I don't think I can innovate on the way he, he, he spoke. I'm trying to, to expound and explain and apply what's been written in here because that's where the power is. And family, if you're, if you're looking for power, if you're looking for life change, if you're looking for transformation, but you aren't reading your Bible, you're doing it wrong. We have knowledge. We have his word. And as I, as I land the plane, I've got three applications. It's, it's not enough to believe that Jesus was a good guy. What's in question is not whether or not Jesus is a good guy. There are a lot of good guys in the world and, and they have no bearing on your eternal destination. Jesus is God. Or to use John's language, Jesus is the anointed one. He's, he's the king. We're like, yeah, Jesus is my king. I worship you, king. You're a great king. I love you, king. But then Monday comes and we're like, 
look at my bank statement. Should I tithe or should I use that money to do X? Like, well, Jesus, you're king, but I'm going to go ahead and be the manager of my money. I'm, I'm not, I, I understand your word says I should be generous, but no. Or, or you know, I, I understand, Jesus, that you tell me that, that marriage is the only place for, for that kind of relationship to exist, but, but no. If, if we want to say that Jesus is king, we're not just... We're not, just saying, we're not just saying some sort of theological truth. Oh, I go to church, I believe Jesus is Lord. No, we're saying, I believe Jesus is Lord, so I'm going to live like what? Jesus is Lord. And if he says, Eddie, don't do that, that's something that I have to be held accountable to. And I walk this out. I've got people in my life who, who call me out. You know, Eddie, if Jesus is Lord, then you need to stop acting this way. Eddie, if Jesus is Lord, you need to do this thing. Jesus is, he's not just a good guy, family. He's not just a prophet who said some interesting stuff. You, you can read Aristotle, you can read Plato. Interesting guys, neat ideas. But the words that came out of their mouths, you're not going to be held accountable for them when you die. These words, these are the words of the king. And and everyone's going to be held accountable. It's not enough just to believe that Jesus is a good guy. Beyond that, the good news is that because Jesus is king, because he died for our sins in our place, we have the anointing. We have the Holy Spirit. The other side of this, you have to read the Bible thing, I understand that many of you are like, but it's scary. Have you read Leviticus? Have you listened to Jeremiah? It's weird. Have you seen Revelation? I understand. Sometimes it can be difficult to approach this book or boring to approach this book. I will say that if it's boring, it's not because the book is boring. It's because lovingly, we're not engaging it at the level that God's calling us to engage it, myself included. I feel like I can say critical things if I say I'm criticizing myself as well. I don't know if you're on board with that, but that's where we are. (laughs) The Spirit is active in the Word. You know, Paul says this crazy thing to Timothy. I don't remember exactly where. Google it. Um, But he says, think about the things that I say. Think hard because the Spirit will give you understanding. Here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, think about these things, study, read a bunch of scholars, learn the original. I mean, he was Greek, so he knew the original language. Um, and, and, And you'll figure it out on your own. He also didn't say, go into a meadow, close your eyes, and, and, you know, speak your mantra until God downloads the word to him. No, he says, the means by which the Holy Spirit gives you illumination and understanding is as you engage the word of God with your brain. And as you do that, God does give you real illumination and revelation. Some of you, you don't understand the word of God, not because it's difficult, but because you haven't used your brain to the degree that you need to use your brain. And and I, I say that lovingly. And I say that because you can. You can. 
You can go home today and read 1 John and you can understand 50 to 60% of it the first time. Then you can read it again and understand 60 to 75% of it. Then you can read it again. And then you can maybe read some of the things that other people have said about it and, and they can provide some wisdom because we're, all, we're not on our own. We, we do have people who are also being taught by the Holy Spirit. But you, you can get this because you what? You've been anointed and you have the truth. And finally, and I think really importantly, family, fellowship is a sign of faith. It's not an, the only sign of faith, but I think in our culture, it is one of the most significant signs of faith. You know, there were other, there's been other times in the church where they emphasized other things. Salvation by, by, by faith alone, through Christ's work alone, and that's, we believe that. But I don't think that it, within the context of our Protestant, evangelical, uh, Pentecostal, charismatic church settings, many of us are questioning justification by faith alone. But I do think that many of us are tempted every Sunday to think that we don't need one another. That we don't need to go to church. That, that I can just listen to a podcast I'm so, oh man, I'm so thankful for podcasts. I remember a season of my life where I was listening to, to pastors on podcasts, you know, several a day. And, and God used those things for his glory, and I'm thankful for it. But that is not church. And, and I know that some of you online, you're like, well, this is, this is where I am right now. You know, what are you trying to say to me? I'm, I'm saying that we're in a weird season of life, and we're hopefully coming out of that weird season. I'm not... I'm not calling condemnation on the things that we've done to try and fill the gaps as we can, but I'm saying at the end of the day, you need to be able to know that you have five or six people who are at the same church that you're at. You could call them up. You have a relationship with, you, with them, and they could call you on your junk. You could call them on their junk, and together you're participating in the body of Christ. And then on Sundays, you're coming together to listen to me or Pastor Brett or Pastor June or Pastor Jim, someone who is a shepherd over your soul. Someone who could, who could say to your, about your life, I, I feel accountable to God to shepherd your soul. We're called to live in fellowship because that is the way, that is the lab in which our faith is developed. It's not enough to think Jesus is a good guy. We can approach scripture and God's word because we have the Holy Spirit, and we have knowledge. And family, we are called to be exactly that family. Not attendees, but participants. And I'm so, can I just say I'm thankful to see your faces? It's, it's good to see your faces. I know that, I know that Sunday is hard. <laughs> and it's intentionally hard by the enemy, right? How many of you, you don't have any issues any problems, but Saturday night comes and, you know, the, 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 the toilet leaks, your, your spouse uh, gets angry at you, your kids act like they've been, uh, you know, demonically possessed, um, you know, in love. Um, your work calls and, and says you need to come in on Sunday. Because this matters. And if you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't have this kind of connection with God, my encouragement to you is that, that it's available to you, that there is truth, there is a truth. 
And that truth is that you and I, we are not God. And in fact, we have sinned against God. But because he is merciful, because he's gracious, he sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior and to be our Lord. And Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. And he rose again on the third day, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and offering, what does he say, eternal life. That's the promise. Offering eternal life to anyone who would trust, not in our own abilities, but in Jesus himself. If that's you, you can begin this journey of, of walking out faith in the context of fellowship. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. I, I thank you for John. I thank you for men like John who, who saw the church and was jealous to, to make sure that, that the church was protected, that the truth was, was guarded, that, that righteousness was, was honored. I'm thankful that we have the words of John to remind us that, that our faith is expressed in fellowship, that we have been anointed by your Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit, you teach us that even right now, you're, you're opening up the word to us. You're bringing things to mind. You're encouraging some of us. You're challenging some of us. I thank you, God, that you're at work in our hearts, that you don't just tell us to go do something and, and say, good luck. God, I pray that, I pray that we would be a people that, that reflect John 13, 35, that we would be known for our love for one another. Pour out your love on us in such a way that we love one another, that we forgive one another, that we, we overlook offense, that we commit ourselves to one another on Monday, on Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, not just on Sunday. God, make us that kind of people. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.